Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, we're talking about praying to the Lord of the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, and, and it says this, Matthew nine thirty-seven through 38. It says, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into his harvest. As you know, we've been doing a series on evangelism entitled, We Are the Church. And we've looked at different facets of evangelism and what it means to be a witness for Jesus Christ. We've talked about the things, ways of doing it and the things that we should be doing. And we want to motivate you to be involved in really the greatest opportunity that we have on the earth of reaching people for Jesus Christ. But you know, one of the things that I've learned is that God seems to move more when we pray than when we teach and preach. Please don't misunderstand. We value the importance of the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. But it seems somehow that whenever people pray, that their prayers begin to move upon the heart of God. Prayer is a catalyst that moves God's heart. It's almost as if God waits for someone to ask, for someone to pray. And when they do pray... Prayer initiates God's actions. Jesus commanded us to pray for the harvest. Prayer for the harvest is not an option. It's a requirement for each of us. In John chapter 4 verse 35, Jesus says this. He says, don't say, there are four more months and then comes a harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes And look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Here's a question for you. Why should I pray about the harvest? Isn't God going to do what he wants to do? And it seems like there's times where people fall into that state because they've prayed for a period of time and they've sought the Lord for a period of time. And it seems like, God, it doesn't make a difference. Now, I know I shouldn't say that, but I know that's what many of you have thought from time to time. That's the challenges that we've gone through. Of If we pray and we ask God and, and it seems as if God delays and so we start to lose heart. Well, the reasons why we should pray, the first one I want to just talk to you about is because the harvest is now. Don't postpone to tomorrow what you can do today. When we postpone things, you know a lot of times we're simply lying to ourselves. We're uncomfortable telling the truth. And saying, I'm not going to do anything about it. Can you imagine like as a husband, if you said to your wife, your wife says to you, will you please fix this? You're not going to just say, no, hon, I'm not going to do it. Just forget it. Or your boss says to you, would you take care of this? Or someone says, bring something to your attention. Usually we're not usually brash enough just to say no, to be honest with you, I don't really care about it. So I'm not going to do anything. Oftentimes that's really what we're saying Whenever we postpone things, we're uncomfortable telling the truth and say, I'm not going to do anything about it, but I don't want to admit that to myself because I know that would be wrong. I just want you to let that sink in for a minute. How many things have we said we're going to do later? Because we know it's the right thing to do. I really should do something about that. I should really be involved in that. I should really take action upon that. But the truth of it is we really don't care to. And yet we won't be honest with ourselves and say, no, I'm not going to do anything about it. Because if we'd actually say to ourselves, I'm not going to do anything about it, we'd have to 
take that a little further and think of the consequences that come when I don't do anything about it. Maybe some people with their health, I'll do that later. I'll take care of that later. Maybe with your finances, we say, I'll take care of that later. Some maintenance issues in our life or in our homes or in things that we've been entrusted with. Or maybe some things in relationships where we say, I'll do that later because it kind of feels kind of hard right now. And so whenever we delay those things, I believe honestly that we're lying to ourselves. So I lie to others and myself and say, I'll do it tomorrow. But in many instances, tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow never gets there. The best time to do something of value is between yesterday and tomorrow. The best time to do something of value is between yesterday and tomorrow. The best time to do something of value is now. Now's the time. We're living in the last days. Jesus said to them 2,000 years ago, he said to his disciples, don't say four more months, and then comes the harvest. The second reason is because the harvest is ripe. You've heard that saying, all it takes for, this is not scriptural, but it's the saying, it says, all it takes for evil to abound is for good men to do nothing. Again, again, we've looked at our world and we see when good men stand around and do nothing, the atrocities that take place. When good men stand around and do nothing as if they are paralyzed and then later on ashamed of themselves because they could have made a difference. If a fruit is ripe, it needs to be plucked. If not, it will drop and be destroyed. All over the world today, people are hungry for the gospel. I can guarantee you that people walk into Andy's shop every single week who are hungry for the gospel. People at your workplace are hungry for the gospel. And today we see many religions in this world having a positive growth that are gathering new converts because people are hungry for something. People are searching for God. They are ripe for the harvest. The question is, will we be fast enough to gather the fruit while it's still ripe. If we're slow, we'll lose much of the harvest. The third reason why it's important is because if we don't, the harvest will be destroyed. And Joel chapter 1 verse 11 says this, Be ashamed, you farmers. Well, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. During the Dark Ages, between about 300 and 1500 A.D., Christianity lost ground to the other religions because of the backslidden state of the church. What's amazing is many of the areas where the Apostle Paul went and preached are now controlled by what? Muslims. Isn't that amazing? The places where the gospel had its start, where it took root... Most of the areas where Paul won for Christ, the harvest was destroyed because of the state of the church. Revelations fourteen fifteen speaks of the harvest being ripe and impending judgment. The harvest was destroyed. In Revelations fourteen fifteen, it says, Thrust your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The fourth thing, real quickly, is the harvest needs to be seen. We do not see... Because we see with our eyes, but not with our hearts. Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. You know, it's amazing how two people can stand and look at the same thing. 
and one sees a piece of junk, and someone else sees a beautifully restored automobile. And it's amazing. Someone looks in a junkyard, that's just a piece of junk. Someone else says, no, 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 that can be something beautiful. It's amazing as someone sees an investment property, and one person looks at this house and they say, who on earth would want to live there? Look at that old place. I wouldn't want to live there. Another guy sees dollar signs in his head. And he says, we could divide that up. That could be three, that could be three apartments right there in that house. That within the, the first month, that would be a positive cash flow. Another guy looks at it and says, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live there. This other guy sees it and he retires early. It's amazing how you can see something, two people, three people, four people can be looking at things. You can have a whole group of people looking at, you know, and people. How about kids? Teachers. Teachers who look at kids and there's three of the teachers look at him and say, he's a troublemaker. He's always disturbing the class. He's no good. Another one will say, no, he just needs to be directed in the right way. He's a talented young man. He's going to accomplish something. It's amazing. And what does it have to do with? I want to tell you, it has more to do with the one who is looking than what it does with the car in the junkyard or the investment property or the person. Certain people have vision. Certain people have eyes to see where there's real value and where there's treasures. My prayer for us is that God would open our eyes. If nothing else today, could we pray that God would open our eyes to the treasures that are in the field? Remember the prophet who says to the woman, her husband left them in debt. Her husband was a prophet. He died. And she goes to the prophet and she says, they're going to take my kids. They're going to take my two sons as slaves. They're going to take my sons as slaves. What do I do? And he says, what do you got in your house? She says, I don't have anything but a little bit of oil. A little bit of oil. And he says, that's all we need. Because there's a miracle in your house. What an incredible thought. In her house, all she had was a little bit of oil, but there was someone who had the vision to see. God opened her eyes to say, if you take that little bit of oil and you go and borrow as many jars and containers as you can, we'll have everything that we need. I hope today that God will begin to stir in our hearts and that we'll begin to see with the eyes of Christ that we'll see the harvest that's there. The problem for Christians is that many are asleep and others simply don't care. When we're asleep, we can't see. I don't see too much. when. How many of you see too much when you're sleeping? There's many who are spiritually blind. Many in the church who walk by. There's no opportunities. Isn't it amazing? I want to go back to that thought that we had before. Isn't it amazing that people who have vision can walk down the street and see a house and they say, that's a great deal right there. That's a great opportunity. Isn't it amazing that people can drive down the road and, and see an old car and say, that's a thing of beauty right there, that car. That's... Isn't it amazing that people have that ability? As the church, that's something we need to ask God. God, give me this vision that I can see. Other people will see opportunities all over the place, one after another. And we stand back and we're like jealous of them or upset about them. Well, they'll get all the good deals. No, they have eyes. They're looking. They're searching for that. May God give us an eye for the opportunities of the harvest that's around us. May he just tune us into that. 
may tune us in to be able to see the opportunities that are completely surrounding us. This is where prayer comes in. I've heard it said that the soul without prayer is like lungs without air. Prayer allows God to change our heart and open our eyes to the harvest. You may say, well, pastor, I'm just not naturally. There's people who walk by and they'll see someone who's hurting and they have a way of just tuning into them and connecting with them. And there's others who say they're just kind of oblivious to that. I can tell you how to change that if you really want to change it. If you want to have an eye for the harvest, I can share with you how to do that. You begin to pray for the harvest. You begin to pray for your lost neighbors. You begin to pray for people who are far from God. You begin to pray for a move of the Holy Spirit, not just here in our church, but across the earth. You begin to pray for those who are far from him. And as you begin to pray that, I'll tell you what will happen. I want to issue you a challenge. I'm going to ask you that if you'll take the next 21 days, if you'll take the next 21 days and begin to pray for the harvest, when you get up every morning, just begin to pray, Lord, I pray that you'd send forth laborers into your harvest field. Lord, I pray for the workers. I pray that you'd strengthen the workers. I pray, God, that you would empower them. I pray that, I pray that you would touch them. I pray, God, that you would touch those who are serving in ministry. God, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would give them success, that you'd give them a harvest for their laborers. Lord, clear out the stony places and clear out the rocks, Lord, and let the seed that is being planted find a good place. What you will find is some of you who say, well, that's somebody else's job. You'll begin to find that God will be moving upon your heart and you'll be saying, I got to be involved. If you'll do that for 21 days, you will find that God will show you. He will show you people all around you, some of them that you work with, and you think he's just a jerk. And you'll begin to see that, no, he's hurt, he's broken. His life has fallen apart, his family's fallen apart. He doesn't know which way to turn. She doesn't know which way to turn. They're not sure which way to go. You see, when we begin to pray, God begins to change us first. And isn't that where it all needs to begin? Doesn't it really need to start within us? God, move within me. Don't just move across the earth, but move within me. Finally, the laborers must be sent. What's difficult to understand about go? Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 6, 8 says this, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Now, this is after the Lord took the coal from the altar and touched his lips. This is after he saw the Lord high and lifted up. You see, a lot of times we think that we just, okay, well, pastor's telling us to witness, so I need to go out and witness, and that's great. But we need to first have an encounter with God ourselves. We need to first be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to first have a vision of who God is and how holy he is and how needy we are. That without his grace, you and I are lost and undone. But he said, whom shall I send and who will go? Then I said, here am I, send me. Here am I. Where does that come from? That comes from a man who's had a vision of who God is. That comes from a man or a woman who has touched the throne of God and had a revelation of God's holiness and God's grace and his magnificence. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 and 15 
says, How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? Then it goes on to say, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good tidings of good things. Most of the people cannot be reached unless somebody goes and is sent. That's the way God established his kingdom. He established his kingdom that he would touch us and that he would make us Christ ambassadors. We talked about that last week. We are Christ ambassadors. And it's as if God is making his plea through us be reconciled to God. That is our calling, the hand of God upon our lives. We think about around the world, over a billion people. My statistics said 1.2, but I think it's more than that. Living in the least evangelized nations of the world. Can you imagine this? That there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus. People have never heard his name once. Never once. Around the world, there's people who've never heard his name. You know, there's people in our neighborhoods who, although they may have heard his name, they've never really received an adequate witness of who Jesus is. They've never seen someone live it out. They might know some people who go to church. We need to do more than just send money. We need to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that our prayers can affect change not only here, but around the world? I wonder how many of you in this room today are here as a result of somebody's prayers. If you really knew the truth, I wonder how many of you who are here today are here as a direct result of somebody praying. Somebody who will never get the credit here on this earth. Somebody who will never get a pat on the back on this earth, but their prayers touch the heart of God. I wonder who will stand in the gap. Who will be an advocate before God for the teenagers at Garden Spot High School? For the children in our community who are forgotten and abused? I wonder who will stand in the gap. Abram stood in the gap and he pleaded before God, Lord, if there's but 50 righteous, 40, 30, 10, who will stand in the gap for the addict, the hopeless addict here in our community? Who will pray for the lost in the last days? As I said to you before, I believe that many of us are here in direct correlation to somebody praying. That somebody was praying for me, somebody was praying for you. We're not here by chance. And now, many of those people, a lot of those old saints have passed on. Sister, brother, you could fill in the blank. They've passed on. I wonder who's picking up the mantle for them. The reality of it is, is that Some of us now are the brother, the sister, so-and-so. We're moving into the place that it's our role now to stand in the gap for those who are far from God. You know, prayer changes individuals. It changes families. It changes whole nations. Prayer changes people's destinies. Listen to me. Prayer changes people's destinies. Whole families, entire families are different. They're set on another path because an old mother prayed, a grandmother prayed, 
a father prayed and stood in the gap. Now I want to call you as a church. I really believe this. Not only do we go and we need to go, but we desperately need to be praying for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Crazy thing is you start doing that as you start praying for those who are serving as counselors in drug rehab places and those who are helping the homeless and those who are serving in prisons and those who are working with the teenagers and those who are leading children to Christ and all across the gamut of things that people are doing to build the kingdom of God. When we start praying for that, when you start praying for them, can I tell you what's going to happen to you? Don't, you promise them you probably shouldn't do it because it's going to revolutionize your life. You're going to get off of, when I grew up, you get off your duff. You're going to get off your duff. You're going to find that you have time now. Wait, I got time now on Tuesday nights to go and serve. I got time now to be involved. I have time now to sit down with that guy. I have time now to do these things. Why? Because God has changed your heart. If as your pastor, if I can get you to begin to pray for the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. It'll revolutionize our church. It'll revolutionize you. It'll revolutionize our families. If I can just get you to pray. And I can't really get you to pray. It's God who moves upon your heart. But if you begin to pray, I'll tell you what, God will begin to change you. Things that were not important before will become extremely important. Things that you could not see before, your eyes will be open to. And who knows? Maybe you're simply paying back what somebody invested in you. Isn't that really our responsibility? Isn't it really our responsibility to just to give back what someone already gave for you, what someone else invested in you? Maybe people who you don't even know, who prayed over you and prayed for your family and, and prayed for your relatives. Whole generations. This is the thing that amazes me. When Jesus comes into a family, he changes whole generations. He changes whole generations. He puts them on a solid rock. He establishes them. And he gives them the hope of eternal life and peace with him. Father, be with us today. Go with us. Make us a blessing, I pray. Lord, we do pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And God, may you send us. May we go as your witnesses, we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you.